Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Pastor Zellner and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to Conversations. I'm your host, Will Leitner, and I'm sitting with my friend and pastor, Eric Zellner. How are you doing today? I'm good, Will. I, I think this might be our last podcast together, perhaps. It, it might be, so hopefully you'll exchange someone with not as nasally of a voice for uh, the future of this podcast. I'm just, ho- I'm just hoping I can find another Will. You <laughs> yeah, <know>? true. <laughs> will to Will to Will. That's right. That's right. Well, we're closing okay. it out with a bang today. Okay. Let's do it. We're doing a rapid-fire version of our questions and answers, and that's how we're going to, to finish our series going through our questions. So Okay, great. We'll move quick. We'll move fast. Probably not, but we'll try our hardest. First one, if God existed before the creation of the world, could God have created another world slash story before us? Yeah, that's a, a it's a question of entirely speculation. Uh, but the answer to that question, uh, certainly, surely God could have done uh, this same story of redemption at another way in another. Um, I wanted I, I even shudder to use the term time because I have no concept of the world that I'm even talking about. But I I, I assume that to be possible. Um, what we recognize and what I wouldn't want us to get too far afield on is just. Uh, this is the world in which we live. This is the Christ that's been revealed. This is the way that God has chosen to uh, do this grand story uh, and allowed us to be invited into the drama, which gives to us a real heart to uh, glory over the Christ, which is what the angels constantly do. These these angels are longing to look into what Christ has done. So the answer to the question is, yeah, surely it's possible. And we can only know what God has revealed to us in his word. And so everything That's else right. is just speculation. Everything else is speculation. Yeah, sure. All right, number two, God works every part of our lives to bring about our good by bringing glory to himself. How does this apply to our, our own sin and temptations? Does God use our fight against sin to bring glory to himself? And how can we continue to fight besetting sin struggles without falling prey to feeling sorry for ourselves or thinking we are victims of our own sin? The, the answer to that question, for sure, uh, if God is sovereign, he is using everything, uh, even our sin struggles, uh, to bring glory to himself. Uh, I'm pretty convinced that uh, where, where I have made error in my own life in this regard uh, might be the same way that a lot of people do. Uh, number one, I presume that I will bring the most glory to God um, by virtue of my needing Christ less and less. In other words, if I start getting really obedient, um, then that would be the most glorifying to God. So then I end up kicking myself when I see the gross and ugly parts of my life, right? So we probably need to rethink that from the start. If this is really about God's glory, if it's really about the glory of Christ, I don't sin more so that I can give more glory to Christ, but I also do not uh, allow myself to wallow in the mire when when my hands go up and I have to clearly acknowledge I don't have any hope other than God being merciful through Christ, mm-hmm. right? So um, 
here's what I would say to who, whoever asked this question or others who are thinking about this. God is sovereign, and he is sovereign enough to use uh, what you, you coin your successes and what you consider your failures, all for his own glory. Uh, but this story is about the victory of, of God in drawing sinful people to himself through the Lamb of God, who's Christ. Right. right? So therefore, uh, we can take great comfort that we constantly see our great need right. for this Savior. And I know, too, just like in God's Word, there's a revealed will and a hidden will. You That's know, right. The re- revealed will is, you know, he tells us to not murder, and mm-hmm. the hidden will is how he can use murder for his purposes. So yeah. we just need to focus on the revealed will of God and leave the hidden will up to him and yeah. uh, meditate on Christ. Yeah, and I think by, by, by dealing in that realm, we keep ourselves from wallowing in self-pity as if we've been able to kick Christ off his throne somehow, right? Right. Get back on the horse, stare at your king, uh, come running to the cross, and enjoy the forgiveness that's offered there. That's a great. That's a good distinction. Thank you for making that. Great answer. How do Christians believe God created the earth? Other religions and beliefs have presented a hypothesis about how the earth was formed and created, but as a believer in Christ and all his majesty, I find myself just saying that he spoke the earth into existence with no other explanation as to how it happened. Mm. Well, I do remember we did a podcast. I think it was in the when uh, William Skinner was uh, doing the podcast with me. We we did a podcast on the book of Genesis on those first few chapters of Genesis. So I'd probably encourage people to go back and listen to that. I think those are the earliest episodes of the podcast. So okay. some of the very first ones done. So just yeah. scroll a little bit. And that would be them. yeah. I think that would be really helpful. I I, I give what I think is um, what certainly. An understanding of the Genesis account, which I think is is helpful. We we just uh, how do we believe God did it? Chapter one is is a drumbeat declaration. God said, God said, God said, God said, which is meant to leave us with the profound awe that this Almighty God simply spoke with words and things which never had even been conceived in the mind of humanity, nor could we even comprehend this today, uh, ex nihilo is, uh, you know, from nothing. God God speaks and stuff comes to being out of absolutely nothing. Well, and I'd say for one thing that it's just to, is a good brain exercise on this, I just read an apologetics book where the the author says to sit and meditate on what nothing is. <laughs> and so when you sit and think about nothing, your mind probably goes to blackness. And he says, well, that's not nothing either because Mm. blackness needs space to operate and it needs time to exist in. And so what's really happening here is God is not only creating everything, but he's creating space, time, and matter from no space, no No time, (laughs) no matter. That's a great comment. Yeah. I mean, it's it's meant to uh, utterly blow our minds and and it's so beyond what we can comprehend. And so I think uh, I just encourage people when you read Genesis, let's let's recognize God is a is a truth teller. He's telling us the truth, uh, and He is describing it in a way that is uh, understandable and puts He's placing the emphasis on the correct notes that He intends to draw our attention to. Right. And and we sometimes run afield when we try to do things beyond what God's trying to communicate there. Absolutely. Um, our next question is: Explain Reformed theology concisely or Presbyterian theology concisely? Hmm. 
Okay. Well, the uh, we did some podcasts on um, five solas. The five solas of the of the Protestant Reformation, and those would be really useful to look at. Um, what else did we? Have we, we did done? the doctrines of grace. We did the doc- oh yeah as well. So those I think those would be really great descriptors. I, I remember when we first planted the church and some of the very early informational meetings. I, I just laid out this is what a reformed church is, and I taught the doctrines of grace right, um, and I taught uh, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation, and and in saying that, what we're saying is when we talk about a reformed church, we're saying uh, this is a church which which finds its roots in the Protestant Reformation, but we firmly believe the Protestant Reformation finds its roots in the in the Acts of the Apostles, in the earliest days of the early church. Uh, and so the authority for what we stand upon is the is the gospel which is taught in the scriptures. So um, I think you know I've talked about this kind of offline a little bit. If you were to ask someone in the 1600s what they thought of a Reformed church, that answer would be different from what people would answer today. Totally. Yeah. So the in the 1600s, people would recognize the the difference of the sacraments. They would say, well, uh, Reformed people seem to th- say that there's a spiritual presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Um, they they recognize that water is symbolic of of the cleansing of Christ. Those are uh, those are things which would have stood in stark contrast to a physical presence um, in the in the actual sacrament of the Lord's Supper, a physical presence of a body, which would have been a, a Catholic view of transubstantiation, um, and then also even the water itself. I mean, a Roman Catholic view in the in the fifteen hundreds and sixteen hundreds would have been that this water is washing away original sin, and that that view uh, would have been so stark that when people said, "Well, I'm a reformed." Believer, they would have been talking about that difference. Right today, when we talk about it, we're largely talking about our cross reference to, hey, go listen to the five uh, points of Calvinism or, or the doctrines of grace, as we call them, and the solas of the Reformation. I would say it's nowadays, like you said, the distinction is important than what it, people would have thought in the 16th century. But I would say now it's just. God is the one who saves for the Bible tells me so is mm. if I could put it as concisely as I yeah. could that we it's typically called big God theology mm. and we believe that God's sovereign and that's what scripture teaches let me ask you this uh, just kind of as a as a play off of that what do you think people generally say today when they're you know if we're, if we're talking oh this is a reformed church what does somebody that's 22 23 24 think we're talking about um i think predestination is what they would mm, think so okay. when you say yeah. you're reformed or presbyterian they would think <laughs> it, it um, it's because you believe in predestination yeah, yeah. okay that's yeah that, i think that's helpful to to recognize because um that's not even the first thing that comes to my mind in fact it's way down the list um it's one of the things i think but but that's a part of the doctrines of grace uh, however, but that's that's really helpful to you to, for you to point out. That would then mean that the vast majority of churches on the face of the earth are not reformed, right? Yeah, <laughs> which is interesting because the va- you know all of Protestant churches, um, at least the mainline traditions, mm-hmm. come from the reformed um, tradition. So yeah, from the Reformation, absolutely. Great question. Thanks for asking that, and thanks for answering that, Will. Yes, sir. Our next question is: What is the role of the Holy Spirit? And how does this differ from what cultural Christianity tells us about the Holy Spirit? 
Okay. Uh, um, the role of the Holy Spirit, just uh, I'm going to ask you a, kind of a follow-up question on this to make sure I understand and I'm answering it correctly. Just in short, the role of the Holy Spirit is always to point people to Christ. Right, the Holy Spirit does not proceed forward to stand alone and draw attention to itself for being able to do uh, wonders and signs or tricks. Uh, the Holy Spirit is always, and if you read the book of Acts, you see this, uh, and and Luke connects this, I think, really well. It's no uh, wonder that he's the author of Luke and Acts. There's a strong emphasis on the object of um, the pointing for which the Spirit always is doing these signs and wonders in order that people might know and believe that Jesus is the Christ. Mm -hmm. And so uh, now how does that play out in our own lives? You and I, um, we as believers know that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Uh, When I say something to someone and I walk away and I feel convicted for having been unkind or cruel or deliberately manipulative, that's the Holy Spirit at work in me. But is the Holy Spirit doing something different than what he did in the book of Acts? No, not at all. In fact, that Holy Spirit who convicts me is pointing me to Christ again, right? So when I feel conviction, the role of the Holy Spirit is to drive me back to the cross so that Christ is my one hope, right? So the Holy Spirit's role functions that way uh, in my own everyday life and yours as well. If we're, you know, for those who are in Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. One thing that I think really pictures this is when Sinclair Ferguson points out that when Jesus says it is better for me to leave mm, that the yeah. Holy Spirit comes you know mm. right now as we're sitting in our really elaborate podcast studio <laughs> Sinclair Ferguson is saying that it is actually better for us to have the Holy Spirit mm. than it is to have the second person of the Trinity sitting right yeah. in that chair next to us yeah that's right Jesus is saying that because he's looking in the faces of those disciples and he knows. I mean, they're panicked. He's about to go to the cross. He keeps saying, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men and die, and I'm going to rise from the dead. And they're going, wait, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And uh, and he, he has to stress to them. John uh, does such a great job of explaining this, especially even in the high priestly prayer, this leaving of the Holy Spirit with them. Uh, chapter 16, 17, 18, all of that section has so much about the Holy Spirit being given to God's people. Um, and it is better. Why did Jesus say that? Because when he goes away, suddenly the word of God is written on our hearts and the spirit um, lives and moves in us to point us to Christ constantly. Right. Absolutely. Great question. I wrote down so some quick key words on that. Yeah. Um, you know, the spirit pours the love of God into our hearts, mm-hmm. um, which would be, you know, regeneration, mm-hmm. our, our hearts going from stone um, to flesh. As you said, conviction. I wrote down inspiration. The Spirit inspires the apostles to write down the Word of God. Um, The Spirit also brings about sanctification, you know, Mm -hmm. the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. Mm -hmm. And then the Spirit brings about boldness to the apostles to um, bless their preaching, Mm -hmm. as well as gives uh, gifts to the church for the advancement of God's kingdom. That's great. That's good stuff. And all of that can, can, we can easily see all of that is useful to point us back to Christ, right? Everything you just said points us back to Christ. What it, my, I guess my follow-up question is, what do you think was meant in the second part of the question? Uh, the cultural Christianity view of the Holy Spirit. I guess one I would say, um, maybe the cultural Christianity view is that the Holy Spirit's more about a feeling or emotion oh, that okay. I have, okay. like goosebumps mm-hmm. is the Holy Spirit, yeah. or um, maybe that the Holy Spirit is... Uh, 
kind of like this voice in my head that tells me if I should change my major or mm. if I should break up with my girlfriend and, and not to undermine the spirit's role and sure, guidance. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. But that's kind of what I think comes that, to Yeah, mind I think that's helpful. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad to ask the question because I, you know, I, I could answer it uh, differently than it's maybe being asked. The Holy Spirit is so much more than a feeling so much more than a than a uh, a cold wind blowing over my back uh, in a worship service or goosebumps on my neck um, those are those are emotions those are which are great right they're god-given everybody knows the zellner family's a bunch of criers so i believe in emotions i think they're good and healthy uh, but i do recognize that the, the ministry of the holy spirit is is so much better than what we've just described a wind blowing or goosebumps on my neck or the feeling well, I don't, uh, you know, this is what I uh, feel the Lord has told me to do. Um, and then that, I would then have to refer people back to other ways that we've talked about the Spirit in other podcasts. Right. Too, and that. I want to be able to say, too, the Holy Spirit is a person. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. And He equips His saints to be used for God's purposes. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So this is not, yeah, it's not a, it's not a wind blowing. Uh, it's not a, it's not a, a mysterious feeling it is a person of the trinity the third person of the trinity and he is interceding for us now which there's just so much about the holy spirit in there scripture. is when well, i think part of understanding how prayer works is understanding the holy spirit um i always recommend that book if god already knows why pray he describes the way the spirit convicts us of what we ought to pray about we offer those prayers to god those things are uh, are are brought through the righteousness of christ um and taken to the very throne room of heaven. Uh, and there's just so much beauty to that. Right. So anyway, good question. Our next question is, what would you say to a believer who struggles um, with assurance? Um, quick um, point here is that we have covered this on a previous podcast called Can a Believer Lose His Salvation, which was about mm-hmm. the acronym commonly referred to the Doctrines of Grace or Calvinism, and that's the Perseverance of the Saints podcast. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, thank, thank you for mentioning that. I think we need to, wherever we've got questions that we can refer people back, that's really useful. Uh, so that podcast will cover it really well. The perseverance of the saints uh, is a doctrine that is taught in Scripture that teaches us that God's people always persevere to the very end, not because they are uh, an unusually persevering type of people, but because the work of the Spirit in them is so profound and certain that God never loses His people. Um, I will say this by way of pastoral note. Um, I have had people sit in my office over the years, maybe it's a lot of people, who have said, I, I struggle with assurance of salvation, or I'm wondering whether or not I'm a believer. Um, questions like that. And I, I will tell you this, I've never actually had an unbeliever ask me those questions. Unbelievers usually don't come to me and go, I'm worried that I don't belong to Christ. Um, and so here's just a more of a pragmatic comment. Uh, if you are struggling with an assurance of salvation, uh, in in some very real sense, you need to acknowledge that if you did not have the Holy Spirit at work in you, you would not come to the conclusion, "Hey, I wonder if I'm <laughs> if I'm belonging to Christ or not." Mm-hmm. The very fact that I'm wondering that or concerned about that is evidence of a conviction of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and so that's evidence of the Spirit's work within me. And if the Spirit only dwells in the hearts of believers, then the person that's sitting in front of me concerned about that is probably a believer. Right. And that, I think we usually have to acknowledge there are moments when our, 
our minds and our hearts are unusually troubled um, and maybe even we feel overly convicted. And, and when I say overly convicted, we're not taking it back to the cross the way we might ought to, but we're just feeling conviction. And then the evil one who, you know, we talked about in our revelation, he's, he's called the, you know, the, the slanderer. He's, he's the accuser of the brethren in the scriptures. He, the evil one accuses us basically to say that record of yours uh, surely is evidence that you can't belong to Christ. Uh, and so it may be that Satan accuses um, us of, of how wicked we really are, and we need to affirm that is absolutely true. I am that bad. And Christ is a very great Savior for people just like me. Right. And I'd say, too, um, in J.I. Packer's book, on uh, Knowing God, um, his chapter on adoption, he says that this is where we can have another, um, another beautiful comfort when it comes to our assurance, because as horrible as a son as I can be, you know, my dad cannot get rid of my, mm. uh, of my sonship. That's right. Um, and so for Christians who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and mm. adopted into his kingdom, your father is not going to kick you out of the family. Right. Um, and so we can have assurance knowing that he's adopted us. And, mm. and we got to think, too, about the chain of salvation, the ordus salutis in Romans chapter 8, mm-hmm. those whom he's called. He's predestined and justified and also glorified. Um, And so he's going to bring about the chain from start Mm -hmm. to finish. That's exactly right, because salvation really rests in his hands. Uh, It doesn't really rest in my hands. Um, That's a great point. Thank you for mentioning that. Yes, sir. Um, Our last question, which uh, I believe we've covered a little bit in our Theological Disagreements podcast, is what points of theology should we go to battle for? Mm. Yeah, that that, <laughs> that was you know I, I'm I'm really glad we covered that in an earlier one. I think we we covered it with the idea of, uh, in some ways, how to handle theological disagreements, and and of course I I want us to be able to handle our theological disagreements in in a winsome, careful way. The kinds of things that that I would say we should go to battle over. Uh, first of all, I need to let's let's say what is what does it mean to actually go to battle right i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get mad with somebody and punch them in the face if they disagree with me on this i'm not gonna attack them or something like that though i mean look if if there's 20 18 to 20 year old guys listening to this podcast i i've been around theological disagreements that got pretty heated and so have you i'm sure Mm -hmm. um so I, th- I would say this: we're not we're not going to hate those people that we have a disagreement with. We're not going to uh, argue with them. We're not going to scream and yell and try to win. That's not really the point. Uh, but we do want to. When I uh, I'm going to say, let's assume that the, the question is really meant: what are the what are the real essentials that we we should be willing to die for? Um, and those essentials are gospel centered things, right? That that there is one God, uh, that Jesus is God's only Son. Uh, that I'm a very great sinner in need of a, of a great Savior, um, that God's Spirit dwells within me, uh, that Christ died and rose from the dead. Uh, he actively obeyed throughout his life, and he passively died on the cross in obedience to the Father. He was raised from the dead on the third day. Those things that, I'm, that I've just done there is I've basically summarized the Apostles' Creed, haven't mm-hmm. I? We've talked about things that are, that are essential to the faith, um, and that is— um, always pointing us back to gospel-centered things. So I think in a college town, uh, people might say, well, what about baptism? Do I need to, do I need to uh, be willing to do battle over baptism? Uh, 
I don't end up doing battle with people over baptism. If they have a different view on baptism, um, I'm content for them to have that view. I'm happy to explain what I believe the Bible teaches, uh, but I'm really not bothered if somebody has another view on baptism. Um, in the end, uh, I, I, you know, I wouldn't hold the views that I hold if I wasn't if I didn't think I'm, I was right. The only time I ever get frustrated is when I when I. <laughs> When I meet someone who thinks they're going to talk me into their point of view after I've, you know, spent my life <laughs> studying these coming things. into these things, and they, they've just had this thought they'd really like to confront me on. That's the only time I really get bothered by that. But in terms of essentials, um, look, we're talking about gospel-centered things. Right. We're talking about all those centralities of Christ. Um, and and other than that, we can let other things go. How do we handle missions? Uh, how do we baptize? Uh, what mode or method of of uh, distribution of the elements of the Lord's Supper? We don't need to argue about that, right? Um, so, I think you've you've exactly answered the question because it's just those essentials: the Trinity, um, the two natures of Christ, mm-hmm. um, our justification being by faith alone in Him, um, His resurrection, ascension, um, the Scriptures being inspired by God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's other things that I, I have strong views on, and you do too, right? I mean, and and we're going to encounter people who have strong views on them. I think what I would say to to people is this: uh, if somebody wants to know my point of view on something, I'm delighted to tell them. I'm delighted to explain why I got there or what I believe. Um, I got plenty going on, and so do most of our listeners. That I, I don't actually need to find a place to argue with somebody or find a fight. You know what I mean? Right. So. Um, I would just encourage our people who who are listening to this podcast, just think in terms of gospel uh, central things. And then how can I lovingly and winsomely communicate those things to those who don't know and believe those things? Um, And I think, as has been mentioned in the past, if these things are true and this is the real hope, then my approach to people is not to beat them with it. It's to to want to show them the fresh water that, that nourishes a thirsty soul. Right. Absolutely. Well, as sad as it may be, unless the Lord wills it otherwise, I think this is going to be our last podcast. Oh, I'm sad. I'm sad. Will, you've done a great job. Thank you for your help, and thanks for your work. Well, and let me tell you how much I've appreciated getting to have a conversation with you on this podcast. And um, your church needs to know that you um, are a great beatboxer when we uh, (laughs) test our sound and um, also just a gifted counselor. And thank you for your insights. Well, you're very kind, Will, uh, concerning the beatboxing. You're very kind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hope the Lord has used this podcast to help you grow um, Mm -hmm. and grow to be more like him. And um, thank you, Pastor Zoner, for the time and answering our questions. Yeah, thank you so much. And, Will, we're going to be searching for the next person to kind of help us co-host this, and we'll move ahead with the podcast after the after the summer. But we believe we've got uh, enough podcasts to move us ahead. And I'm, I'm wishing you the best, praying for you as you go and transition to the next place. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you. Certainly. And um, thank you guys for listening to our podcast, and we hope to see you at the next one. Goodbye. Very good. Very good.